Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And, uh, Noel, how's it going today? It's going okay. Um, my partner and I walked to our nearest ballot drop box and deposited our ballots today. Um, we did that walk there and back, like, and then I immediately jumped on the podcast, basically. <laughs> so, so what I'm hearing is you're riding a high because... You voted, everyone listening. If you also want to be feeling good for a second, go vote. Do it. It it feels really good. It does feel pretty good to vote. It doesn't feel as good as the time that I voted while in a Mexican restaurant drinking sangria. That was my best voting experience. That's very good. This quality voting experience. It's the best. Like, you've never really voted until you've done it while eating arrozo and compolio and drinking sangria. Like, it's the best way to vote, everyone. Yeah. I would, I mean, I like sangria and all. I would exchange it for a margarita. That's Sure, me. absolutely. But, like, you know, still, that's a very, it's a quality way to vote. Wisconsin, uh, Wisconsin. no, not Wisconsin. Washington is doing it right. Um, yeah, well, you know, we've been, Washington's been a mail-in state for, I think, seven to eight years now. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we're pretty on top of it in that regard, at least. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the extended, uh, Kulzik family has all of our votes in. You guys have yours in now. Uh, and this is very on theme because today at the end of the show, we're talking about what the constitution means to me, uh, which is a theater, I guess like a, a, a play. Yeah. Um, So it's a play. It's a play that, uh, was, ran on Broadway and in other places for a while, um, but was filmed and is now available streaming on Amazon Prime. The reason I said play is because it ends with a debate between the main woman, Heidi Schreck, and then a uh, like a high school debater, yes. <laughs> debate champion. And there's a couple different women who, uh, young women who did that with her, and it would change each time. Um, so the structure of the like the theater experience would be a little different depending on you know which side of the debate they took and you know who who was you know debating and everything, but um, but yeah, it's really very interesting and this is one that was heavily recommended to us by a friend of the show and our co-host over at Streaming in Place, Allison Shoemaker. Um, I think she wrote it up over at RogerEbert.com. I could be wrong on that, but she's a big fan. Um, so. We'll be talking about that at the end of the show. It felt it felt like a good thing in the as we head towards you know November third. Yeah, what we should have done is schedule this better and done ten or eighty eight last week, and then done what the Constitution means one. to me. We're not good at planning this. That's okay. <laughs> hey, you know what? We're doing a podcast right now. We're doing great because yeah. <laughs> we haven't missed one in all of this, and that says a lot. So you know, we're doing just fine. <laughs> no, well, you know who's not doing just fine, Kate? Oh, oh, I know who's not doing just fine because I'm just enjoying the Schadenfreude deliciously, immensely, so very, very much. That's Quibi. Quibi's not doing fine. Um, who could have guessed? I know that. Short form, six to seven minute long content that you have to pay for 
as compared to, you know, YouTube, which is free, um, would fail? And the answer is everyone. Everyone predicted it would fail and was a colossal waste of money. Um, Despite, I hear there's a few good shows that were on there, right? One of them got an Emmy or an Emmy nomination or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're happy if Chrissy's Court was a thing, you know. But, yeah, uh, was it six months, right? Seven months in? They've officially pulled the plug. Yeah, it launched, like, right as the pandemic was about to start or, like, a couple weeks into it, at least here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was never, I've never sampled any of it, just the general concept in the way that, um, Jeffrey Katzenberger, who was one of the co-founders, um, along with, uh, Meg Whitman talked about Quibi. I was immediately turned off from the platform. Um, it, it was all a bunch of nonsense. I wrote about it in my newsletter, um, before it launched. It's, it was, it was a bad idea. Um, so I feel, I feel bad for people who are out of work. But on the other hand, they somehow convinced people to invest upwards of like $2 billion in this thing. To which I go, you have too much money. Yeah. You have too much money and and there are too too many real problems that need that money. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, it's just bad. And I think it's also just a real sign that despite the fact that they did 67 minute chunks, the episodes were largely, could largely be like viewed as like mm-hmm. a long movie or something, which was really the intent. Um, and nobody else wanted the content. Like nobody wanted it. They shopped it around to Facebook and NBC universal. And they said, no, or no media said no. So no one wanted any of their leftover content at all, which is wild. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have something to do with like the way that they negotiated contract ownerships. Um, Quibi had a really, had a actually pretty progressive contract ownership um, issue with producers and as a distributor, it was actually, they didn't own anything past like a year or two. Um, And then the rights just reverted back to the original producers, which is actually really great. Um, It was arguably the best thing about Quibi. (laughs) Well, Um, see, I had heard a big part of why they were going for such short form entertainment is to skirt union rules so they didn't have to pay people. Well, there's there's that for the runtime aspect of it, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's all bad, and and I'm I'm glad that it's gone in that sense. But mm-hmm. I'm also we talk about the Schadenfreude, and I am deeply deeply amused by the fact that the day before they pulled the plug, TV over this over the set TV apps. For Quibi rolled out on Apple and Amazon <laughs> and um, I think one other service the day before they cut they cut they cut the service off and I am just so deeply amused that the one thing that might have saved them happened the day before as opposed to doing it immediately. Whereas I was entertained by the the timing because like the day or two before is when I heard that Meg Whitman, one of the people in charge, was being, like, potentially vetted yes. for, you know, if, you know, knock on things, if Biden wins the presidency, you know, a potential cabinet post. It was like, oh, yes, because one of the co-creators and, you know, people in charge of Quibi clearly has such great, you know, such great business instincts and such great man- management ability 
because they decided to invest their time and energy and probably money into Quibi. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens with all of that. Well, I think she's held office before, too. So she's got, like, some government experience, um, I think. Mm-hmm. I may be making that up. Um, she definitely ran for office before. Um, she's run for office before. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we'll pour one out for Quibi, but only in seven-minute increments. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like you said, anyone who's out of a job now, that sucks. And that is not what anyone needs in the middle of everything that's happening. Um, also, congratulations on getting them to pay you for a while for, for this stupid yeah. idea. Um, so, yeah. Yep. Well, we got some listener feedback the last couple of weeks that we have not uh, been able to get to. So I wanted to throw it in here. We heard from Vince a while back, uh, who was talking about some of our streaming play stuff. But he also said that he's been watching Hotel de Luna, which is a K-drama, and rewatching It's Okay to Not Be Okay, um, which is on Netflix. Uh, so the they they uh, have been, like, watching those shows. He and his sister have been watching those shows together, um, which is, you know... Really cool. He says he's been really enjoying them, especially um, some of the different, uh, the I think it was Hotel de Luna he's really enjoying. Yeah. Um, ben says that, uh, Ben from Tasmania, reached out and left some comments and said that he thinks the Rose of Versailles might be the ideal anime for me. I say this having no idea if or where it is available to watch. And also he's excited about Tanner 88. He says, you had me at Altman. I will definitely check this out. So let us know what you think when you watch it, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, what is Rose, the Rose of Versailles? I think I've heard of it before. Yeah, it's a pretty classic um, shoujo, uh, so young girl targeted um, romance series that sh- shock takes place in France. Um, it is one of the cornerstones of early shoujo. It's like one of the foundational texts. Um, I've only ever read the manga and I'm pretty sure I finished it. Um, it's been a long time. The anime is getting released, I think, soon, getting like a big re-release soon. Um, the rights for it have, because it's old, have always been like an issue to acquire. But, um, yeah. So maybe, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I feel like I've, I'm never going to find that right one. Uh Um, and I don't know that Rose of Versailles is going to be it, but depending on if it becomes easily available, maybe we'll do it. Um, I also, I don't remember how long it is. It may be too long to do for a make you watch a thon. Mm-hmm. Um, but that could be good. I mean, I've thought about making, I did think about making you watch Dear Brother recently, um, which is now available um, very easily on Retro Crush. Um, but Dear Brother is so good, but it's also, it's from this one of the same directors who worked on it. Or no, it's from the same woman who wrote Rose of Versailles, I think. I may be making that up. Don't mm-hmm. quote me on that. Anyway, yeah. But I'm glad you're going to try 10 or 88. Um, and yeah, let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to... Uh, we have quite a bit of TV to talk about this week. Specifically, a bunch of reality. Uh, we watched some other stuff, but didn't really have much to say. So we're going to skip it and circle back around. But th- we do have some fantastic music to listen to as well in this week's TV. So we're going to take a break. Listen to a little music. And I will not use Push It as much as I want to because I've used it before on the podcast. It's a great song. But, like, Supermarket Sweep using Push It as, like, their theme song, excellent choice. Excellent choice. More on that after this. We'll be right back with our Week in TV. Life could be a dream. Life could be a dream. Do, 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 so boom. 
TV. I'm going to kick things off with a few thoughts on the Lovecraft Country finale, Full Circle. Then Noel and I are both going to have some thoughts on the Vow finale, The Fall. And Supermarket Sweep, which is back with a new reboot, I guess, because they're calling yes. it Season 1, Episode 1. Give me the roses, Richard! Which is, like, not a good impersonation, but just, like, I wanted to kind of capture the intensity, so that's what yeah. I was going for there. Then we'll have a few thoughts on the baking show, Great British Bake Off, uh, Chocolate Week, and The Amazing Race. Red lipstick is not my color. Before we run things out with DuckTales and their two-part, you know, hour-long special, Let's Get Dangerous. Uh, so first up is Lovecraft Country and their finale, and there's there are things about this that I really liked. There's things about it that I am not sure how I feel about. Uh, And I'm going to have to digest it for a while, I think. And I certainly would like to read more really thoughtful write-ups and reflections on the show. Um, It ended up... The show ended up having some of the depth I wanted, but not nearly enough. And, um, And not the... The breadth of reflection that I was hoping for, you know? Uh, I think that a lot of what we get here in this finale is really satisfying, makes sense, and is powerful. Um, it's Obviously, it's very well made. Um, but, I, yeah, after that pilot, I was hoping for... I, I guess I was hoping for more substance to go with the energy and the the um, the... the the horror side of things and the human struggle. And, and I think there was, I think that it had a lot to say and it was saying a lot, but I didn't always know how much it was reflecting on some of the things it was saying. Um, And certain parts of the show were very considered and very meaningful and very, very, very like thoughtfully and carefully crafted. And then other parts of it, I wasn't sure what we were supposed to take away from it. So after, like, for example, in this finale, after Diana's already been endangered and, you know, has felt very abandoned by all the adults in her life as she deals with the, the death of her friend Emmett Till, uh, they are going to deal with, like, the climactic action of everything. And they leave her in the car <laughs> by herself. And I'm like, wait, are we supposed to notice that and be like, hey, this is a terrible idea. Why did you bring her to Artem and leave her in the car the last time they were in the, these woods, in the car, a bunch of sh- a bunch of shuggas started eating people. Like, is this supposed to be her family abandoning her again, or is this supposed to be her, you know, over not feeling abandoned because she understands the context of, you know, like? So there's some things like that where I just I have question marks still. So I'll need to think about it some more. I will say that it, you know, it it, it was certainly uh, there's a lot of really. Uh, 
strong performances, a lot of really memorable moments, some really great uh, characters and relationships that I was very invested in. Um, I don't know if they'll do a season two. I kind of think it doesn't need it, but, you know, if they want to, great. Um, there's certainly more that they could do. I could see this, you know, I've, I saw several people compare it to, they want it to be Watchmen, but it actually ended up being more like American Horror Story. And I mm-hmm. feel like, I was like, ooh, do I agree? Because that's pretty harsh. I don't know if the person who tweeted that considered it harsh, but I do. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I could, I very much see that perspective on it and like yeah i don't know if i go that far but that's sort of where i'm ending up with it and they for me still did not manage to come back from what what they did with yuhima and like those choices in that episode they never like not that you're gonna earn that but they they like they never had a reason that that happened and that's just incredibly frustrating um at least they've at least Mr. Green has acknowledged that it was a massive mistake. Yeah. Oh, okay. I missed that. Yeah. Uh, okay. She gave an interview somewhere and acknowledged that it was a it was a mistake to how they handled that. Um, so that's something at least that is encouraging because I expected way better from her as a showrunner, yeah. you know, based on her previous work. So mm-hmm. yeah, we will see. We will see what happens next for these creatives and this cast. Certainly, I have been very strongly and favorably introduced to a lot of that cast that I was not already familiar with. Um, And I will look forward to following them in future work because they are very good. And, oh, God, again, like the music. It's been so great to know. Well, is there any other music on TV this week? Lovecraft Country has stuff and it's really great. Even if I haven't watched it yet, let's do a quick search. Yup, here are five great songs every episode. So if nothing else, I will miss it for its... uh, uh, you know the the musical contributions to my TV watching, um, which is way more than I can say for the vow, which had its finale the fall. And Noel, um, we haven't talked about this yet. Yeah, uh, the vow finale pissed me off. I got so angry at the yeah, vow finale. I think you should be because it's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, uh, you don't set up your show as like oh it's a nine episode expose of this cult. Um, and when when it's very clearly known that the cult leader has been tried and convicted for crimes against like that that this miniseries is centered on, and then you end it without the try without that and go coming back in season two, fuck you is how I feel about it. Um, how do you feel about it? So I have a lot of like bad feelings about um the vow like i was getting slowly less and less steady on the show um as it went on um i i recall like really liking the first couple episodes in part of how they do a really nice job of depicting why nexium is so deeply attractive and the ways in which it becomes this became this thing that really enraptured and ensorcelled a number of people. Um, and they do a solid enough job of making Raniere seem really compelling and really interesting. Um, but this show slowly loses focus. Um, and then there are a number of larger sort of ethical things that I have based on the finale. Um, so it's a weird place to kind of start. Um, but the finale in and of itself, I think is really kind of frustrating, um, for a couple of different weird ethical reasons. So the first ethical reason is relatively minor, but 
when Bonnie and Mark go back to Albany, they make a point of mentioning the fact that they could be under surveillance while they're there. Someone could be watching them, et cetera, and it could endanger them. Um, but then Bonnie goes on a stroll around the cul-de-sac so that we can get some B-roll footage that we can then use in the first episode as well to mm-hmm. tie everything back together a little bit. Um, but I feel like, like the degree to which they volunteered for this, for that versus the directors going, maybe you should do this because it'll look nice. Um, just kind of makes me squishy. Um, on top of which, um, this is the larger ethical thing that I have is, Ending it with a tease in which Ranieri will have a voice that is not based on footage from Mark Vicente, who supplied the directors, they are friends, with all of this information, with all of this footage. Um, And listeners, there's a really... There's a really solid interview that the directors did with Fox, including that one of the directors actually went through um, the process, went through Nexium a couple of classes at Vicente's like kind of recruitment mm-hmm. almost. Um, so I'd encourage you to seek that out. Um, it's kind of interesting. I also kind of frustrating, um, but I really kind of balk at the idea of Ranieri getting any additional like time, like live current contemporary time. Um that makes me kind of uncomfortable. Not kind of. It does make me uncomfortable. I don't know that he needs a, a platform, basically. Um, so that really kind of frustrates me that that's your big tease on top of the trial is, yeah, no, he's called us and we're going to talk to him. No, absolutely no. not. Why would you do this? Um, yeah. I say all of this. But I am also a little bit of a hypocrite because I very much want to hear from Nancy Salzman. <laughs> yeah. Well, because she's been yeah. completely elided over throughout this whole yeah. process. Yeah. And like they tease that they've got access to Salzman um, in the finale with uh, her taking off one of the sashes and the ankle monitor on her ankle. Um, but that come back for season two for that. Um, Salzman has basically turned against Rhaenyra. Like, she testified against him at the trial. Um, various other things. But, like, I very much want to hear from her. Like, she's the, like you said, she's the missing kind of piece from all of this because she just wasn't present in any of the footage that they either got from Vicente or that they used for this documentary. Yeah. Um, You get the sense from this, and who knows how accurate it is, that she kept her ass off camera unless she was teaching a class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's hard to tell. Um, so I think that that's kind of where I ended up with the finale is that I don't really like the tone that it ends on. But the tone that it ends on is so part and parcel of how the show has really consistently worked across its whole run that I can't be surprised because they have very consistently ended episodes on big twist cliffhangers to draw you in for the next next episode. So why should their finale be any different? Yeah. I don't plan to come back for the next episode, the next season. Will you be back? Uh, no, because I also... One of the other... Two other big kind of sticking points that I had with it ultimately was one I did not really appreciate the ways in which that they deployed their footage mm-hmm. that they had so like we got a lot of stuff from like that um sop lecture um um that Ranieri gave in like the alligator polo um 
but we don't get any context for what that is until the second, the anti-penultimate episode. But it's like scattered throughout the rest of the show, but we don't know what it is. And one of my big problems with the show on a whole is that a lot of footage is presented asynchronously or is presented without context for where it fits into the discussion. And it feels it's aggressively cherry picked, which I don't really care for. The other larger issue I have with season one in particular, but with the show going forward, is that there's that whole episode um, about the women who got pulled into DOS but did not get pulled into DOS through Nexium. We never revisit them ever. Like, their presence is in that episode and then just disappears. Our rebels never engage with them in any way, shape, or form. They don't exist for the rest of the narrative. Um, they don't exist in the confines of taking down DOS or within the confines of this move within the Me Too stuff. They just don't exist after that episode. And that could be a subject issue, but there is a documentarian sort of impulse of why did you include them if you weren't going to talk about how DOS's tentacles stretched out beyond Nexium in and of itself. Um, and then they just don't. And it's real weird. I Maybe it comes up in the trial, but I'm not going to be there to see it. Yeah. In answer to your question. So Yeah. Well, and also just the finale, it really feels like they're stretching for time to get to the yes. uh, reveal that he's been arrested. And instead of having an episode about... He's been arrested. They're like, okay, well, we need nine hour long episodes for some stupid reason. It's HBO. No, you don't. Um, and can you imagine this as a like a two part movie or something like that? Like there, you would cut so much down. You would cut so much down from these nine hours. I but, think that there's a really good four hour series mini series in this um, yeah. that would be just as compelling and much tighter. But yeah. And then you're like, wait, why are they, why are we seeing, it didn't feel, it doesn't feel like a finale at all. It's like, why are we, and then you realize, oh, it's because it's not, this is not yeah. concluding anything. This is, we're filling time until you, it's, until you guys are going to get our big twist and we get to watch everybody react, which is really powerful and really great to see the fact that they were filming like in the middle of the day when they all got the news, uh, and then that's going to be our cliffhanger rather than actually examining that and having that be then the act like the, the the instigating moment of the finale and then watching them react to everything as the denouement and like process that and like celebrate and then but what next you know so yeah it <laughs> yeah and they've already they were there for the entire trial so they've already filmed all of this they knew they were getting a second season from the jump um hbo just didn't announce it until last week you know why? Because um, I would have stopped watching. Exactly. So, like, they knew they were getting another season from the jump um, because the trial needed to basically be its own thing, I guess. But yeah, here we are. Here we are. Well, let's talk about, let's cleanse the palate. Let's talk about something a, a bit uh, more exciting and thrilling and certainly much more entertaining. And that was the return of Supermarket Sweep, hosted by Leslie Jones. Give me the roses, Richard! Um, so this was absolutely delightful. I know you're a big fan of Supermarket Sweep. I've seen like clips here and there, but I've never like watched. Did you not? Did you episode. not cover out some time to watch any on Netflix this week? No, because I was watching all of the other things, so <laughs> I did not watch a bunch of Supermarket Sweep this week. Um, but I was absolutely delighted and charmed by this. The fact that it's an hour premiere, I was like, "What is that?" And then it was just it was two half hours. It's, yeah. 
is what it is. Standard ABC game show formatting. Yeah, I watched yeah. the second half first and then watched the first half. Um, so I actually, I like, I, I think the first half is the stronger of the two parts. But, yes. um, like, I did not, so when I was watching the the first part, the, the end of the first episode, technically... Um, and they had a minute and it was taking them like 40 seconds to find the first thing. I was like, there's, they're never going to find five things. What's the, and then I watched the first half. I was like, oh, if you get to the third one, you get extra time. That yeah. makes more sense. Like, so I could appreciate the structure and everything more as it went along. Um, absolutely charming and delightful. I was yelling at my TV. Like, obviously that's tied. What's wrong with you people? I know my brand labels, you know, like I'm a good consumer. Uh, but yes, thank you for wanting to talk about this because I would not have sought it out. And I'm so glad I did. <laughs> no, um, I think that this is this is very entertaining, largely because of Leslie Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, Excellent host. Yeah, no, she's great. And I know that she's talked about the the weirdness of having to basically read off a card. Um but also want to really riff with the contestants, uh, which I think she does really well um, across both of these episodes in general. Uh, but you can tell that she's more comfortable doing a, I'm a fan of the six of you because listeners, it's uh, three teams of two people. Um, then I, I want to read off this massive stack of cards I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so she really enlivens the proceedings because while Supermarket Sweep was a staple of the Kirkpatrick household afternoon television cycle when I was younger, when I've gone back and revisited Supermarket Sweep, it is a deeply boring show. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is wild because the show's format, the show's games, everything has not changed at all for this revamp. Uh, they're doing the same games, like a little bit of the anagram thing. Um, the recognize the brand uh, logo type stuff. Um, the weird riddles rhyming stuff is all carried over from the original series. Um, the one thing that isn't carried is carried over are the sweatshirts everyone competes in at the end. But mm-hmm. I really appreciate the fact that the new version went. We're gonna we're gonna jazz those sweatshirts up. We're gonna let a you personalize bit. them. Yeah, yeah. Except for those two guys who were. Oh, you're just in in the purple. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I do think it's, I think it's pretty, um, I do think that this revival is pretty solid. Um, I do also think that a number of people have just not watched the original based on how they played this game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, cause it's just like, I know that the producers tell them what to go like buy to like really rack up their points, but it's just like folks, meats, diapers, mm-hmm. and then go get the thing that she tells you to go get. Yeah. Um, like, I don't understand why you're not doing these parts of the game. Um, but I'm not on it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I I really love for Jones as a host, like in the second one, when, when the guy starts going for like the boxes of bags of M&M, she's like, you're never, you're never going to win with those. It's great. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody else goes for like the like $20 honey. She's like, ah, yep. Going for those expensive honeys. Good yeah. call. Like. Yeah. And actually, that's one of the better things that this does is there's always like a little play by play commentary in the original, but having Jones do it is much better than the uh, commentary that they had in the revival because 
it feeds into that Jones is a wonderful person to watch watching television. Um, mm-hmm. If you've ever watched her, listeners, if you've ever watched her watch Game of Thrones with Seth Meyers, um, <laughs> it's by far and away one of the best things. It's like right up there with day drinking with X on Seth Meyers. Um, so watching her watch and then provide color commentary, I think is just delightful. And it's arguably, I think, the best part of the revival because she's just so excited. She wants them to win because they have the chance to win $100,000, which is a lot of money. Um, but also they're never going to win it because no one knows where anything is in this place. <laughs> well, especially because it's new. They haven't been able to watch it, you know? If it comes yeah. back for a season two, they'll, they'll, they'll probably change the shelves around. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it was, I thought, very charming, very fun. And I also was like, I'm terrible at, an- like, so I can handle an anagram, but not mm-hmm. if it's already spelling a different word. Oh, sure, sure, sure. In fact, I'm actually better when it's handling a different word because it triggers my brain to eliminate those as um, options. Yeah. 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 So I was like, I like to think I'm good with words. No, not with that part <laughs> of it. Like, give me the rhyming. Give me the brand logo. Give me the other things. Uh, I was like, like, Venus, it's Venus. The racer is Venus. The, go, go get the Venus. <laughs> oh, that, that snatch. Oh, it was a good oh, snatch it was good. for the Venus yeah. racer. It's very good. So yeah, I will definitely be watching more of this. I need to set up a recording on my DVR. Uh, like this is the kind of thing that would be perfect to like laundry or um, yes. dishes or you know invoicing or yeah, super fun, delightful, and more time with Leslie Jones is going to be a good thing. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. And you know she's given like a couple interviews where she mentions not uh, having the best SNL experience. So I'm very glad she's living her best life, getting that game show money. Yes, me too. But uh, speaking of living your best life, we have the Great British Bake Off um, and Chocolate Week. So here's the thing. First of all, I'm very excited that friend of the show, uh, uh, Emily Stevens, is going to be coming on at the end of the season of Bake Off so that we can do some, some like, you know, breakdown of the season and everything. And if listeners, you don't know, Emily uh, previously has been, was a caterer and baker. So she's she, she knows her stuff around the kitchen and around baking. Um, so... Here's, like, I don't know if I'm just very spoiled. I'm curious how you feel about this, Noel. Because Emily believes strongly, like, making perfect brownies is actually really hard. Because that was their first challenge in in Chocolate Week, making brownies. And maybe I'm just really spoiled. Because when I was growing up, my mom makes really great brownies. And, like, every time she makes brownies, they're crispy on top and fudgy and chewy in the middle. To me, it's like, it was very Elwood's, like, it's hard. Um, now if that's, if you don't add a bunch of extra crap on it, cause you feel like it's gotta be fancy. So I'm curious if I just like, my mom just has a good recipe. And so I didn't, uh, and I, I don't, haven't made, made brownies very often. Cause if I make brownies, I eat the whole, the whole sheet. Like I will eat all of them. This yeah. is why I don't make brownies. Um, so like, am I just like have spoiled? Yes. You're deeply, okay. deeply spoiled. Okay. Um, brownies are very hard to make. Um, okay. especially the, like, I like brownies in most any form. Like I do enjoy a really fudgy brownie, but I will also be very happy with a cakey brownie. Like mm-hmm. I like a brownie period. Um, so like, it just kind of depends. It needs to, I want it to be warm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really my, that's really all I need is for it to be warm. Like um, a scoop of vanilla bean yeah. vanilla mm-hmm. ice cream yeah and no drizzle, drizzle. Caramel, and like yeah we have drizzle, drizzle caramel but no like whipped cream and cherry, like top no just like yeah it, let it be its own thing right and so 
that was the thing. And you and I kind of discussed this um, off mic, but they just made this way too difficult on themselves. And I really appreciate the fact that they all kind of realized that after the fact, um, after they were just brutalized um, by Paul and Prue of like, what are you doing? You're Why making fig upside down brownies. You're making yeah. raspberry cheesecake Brown, you made brownies, but put them on a chocolate chip cookie. Why are you... We asked for brownies. Yeah, and that's the problem, is that they all, like, decided to go too fancy, like you said. Um, when making a good tray of brownies is better than anything that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, even, like, a mediocre tray of brownies would have been better than what they put out in terms of just overdoing the flavors. Literally and truly, the only thing that they needed to add if they were going to add anything to a brownie and i'm not an i'm not an advocate of adding anything to a brownie um nuts like literally that's it is you add nuts to it walnuts specifically yeah yeah that's all you add that's the only thing you if you want a little bit of texture or something like that in the brownie walnuts are all you add um you don't need to add a frosting i don't know why you would i know maybe you can dust with powdered sugar Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Because that won't mess up the texture. Or a, like a little bit of like a dark chocolate cocoa powder or something along uh-huh. the lines. If you want a design, yeah. Does does complements the chocolate flavor profile you have. But that's all you need to do. But making a good fudgy brownie is actually really, really difficult. Um, and you're very lucky that your mom just knows how to nail it every time. But it's very difficult to do. So when... That was announced as their challenge. My partner and I just looked at each other and went, oh man, are brownies even a thing in the UK? Do they eat brownies there? (laughs) And the answer apparently is no. Um, (laughs) So it was just, watching them just flounder around with the brownies was just really rough. Um, But also, again, they just overthought it and overworked it um, in the sense of doing too much stuff with a brownie. Um, God help me if one of them had made a blondie by accident. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, it was just, I mean, it was, it was brutal to watch and it, it entertaining in that way. Yes. Uh, and it was a good, like this whole episode, I thought like, so they had trouble with the first part, but I thought that the technical and the showstopper were excellent challenges. A yes. good difficulty level. Uh, so that felt like we hadn't seen it a million times and just like really fun so like when they did the bobkas and they're like a bobka what's a bobka it's like the seinfeld not made it there what is going on how do you that's what my partner said too (laughs) chocolate bobka i mean like oh and when prue has to get that dig in that new york bobka isn't all that great i was like oh okay prue okay prue we see how it is maybe you just got a bad one maybe your friend took you out to a bad place or bobka um but I thought that was delightful. And then, I mean, white chocolate tiered celebration cake. How are you going to make that taste like anything but sugar? What yeah. an excellent and really difficult challenge. I mean, and then they mostly crushed that one. They did a good job on the celebration cakes. Yeah. Um, I thought the pop code was actually a really good, I agree with you. I think it's a really good, difficult challenge because it's really a leftover bread challenge (laughs) um just with chocolate flavoring um in it but you still want that chocolate forward sensation as opposed to it's a dessert bread almost really um so i really appreciated that it was just like 
people struggled, but some people really got it and realized what they were doing. And I really appreciated that, especially after the brownie challenge, which everyone just went. It was just a wash on terms of judging. It was just like, oh, well, it just comes down to the two challenges, I guess, uh, this week. Mm -hmm. Um, But I absolutely agree with you as well with the white chocolate, because like you said, it just becomes sugar. It just becomes sweet. Um, and I, again, we've discussed this. I'm someone who likes white chocolate and, but I acknowledge that it can also be too much too fast. Um, so it's actually a really good balancing act challenge. I think in terms of you want the white chocolate, but really you want to be able to taste everything else and you want the white chocolate as the accent. Um, so I think that that was just a really good, delicate balancing act. And I appreciated that they had to make tiered cakes, but not like massive tiered cakes. Like you had to do what? A minimum of two tiers? Two, and that was yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Which is so doable. Like it's the challenge is not the actual bake. The challenge is incorporating the white chocolate in a way that doesn't destroy your palate. Um, so I thought it was just, it was a very fun episode both in a, oh my god, they're fucking up to a, oh my god, this is actually really difficult type of thing. So I really enjoyed this episode. Okay. Yeah, no, I was definitely uh, just like, I, you know, she, just like watching this going like, no, I wouldn't want to do it. Oh, that would be really hard. Um, so, yeah, the just the notion of having to take a white chocolate thing, add more flavors to it, and have it yeah. be... Be, you know, I like the thing that was it Matt was saying either this episode or last episode about like, okay, so please make us this very sweet thing, and then yes. you make it, and they go, oh, it's a little too sweet. It's like you you asked for brownies. Brownies yeah. are sweet. You asked for white chocolate. White chocolate is aggressively sweet. It's not my fault that you have to taste ten of them. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, using the 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 very tart, like the yes. What, what is it? There was some like different like citrus or the um, what was the one that Laura used? I want to say it was like blackberry or something. Current, uh, yeah, it was the black currant, which was really smart. Yeah, I'm not big on um, white chocolate in general, aside from like as a component, but not as like the main flavor. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are several of those that I would have been like, I've got an extendo fork. Have a little bit of that, yeah. and then a little bit of that, and that is very much the case in the next episode, which is pastry, because they have to make uh, several things. One of them is tarts, and some of those okay. tarts look damn good. So I will look yeah. forward to your thoughts on that uh, next week. Any final thoughts on Bake Off? How'd you feel about you know our elimination, our star baker? I fully agree with you that I would have sent Noel home <laughs> so that I could keep Lottie and Sura. Yeah. Um, because I'm going to miss Sura a great deal, um, just a lot. I really like Sura all, just so much. So I was very sad that she left, and I'm not going to get over it anytime soon. I swear to God, if Lottie goes home in this week's episode, I'm just going to stop watching. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't say anything. I look forward to your I appreciate thoughts. that. Thank you. Um, but next up, we have The Amazing Race. Red lipstick is not my color. Um, and this one... Mostly we're going to talk about this for the yield and yes. also for the casual racism. Um, yes. But let's let's start with the yield. How do you feel about this component to the race? I am deeply intrigued by the concept of the yield. Um, I really like how they positioned it as a trade-off in terms of finding it versus when you could leave from that spot. So I thought that was a good way to introduce it. Um, but I'm really curious to see how it shakes up the gameplay because delaying someone for 10 to 20 minutes 
is huge, um, especially if it's tight. Um, but I also think that this is something that's not going to show up until a little bit later um, when things start getting a little tighter. Um, like, there's still a team that we're barely paying any attention to. So when they pop up, I'm like, wait, who the f- who the hell are the two of you? Because I don't even think you've been introduced to us yet. You're mm-hmm. not even getting any talking head segments. I don't know who you are. Um, I'm, I think it's a father-son team. And I don't know who they are. Um, and we're two episodes in, which isn't great. Um, but yeah, so I'm really curious about the yield. I, again, I just I don't think that it's going to come into play until later in the run. Um, unless someone's just in a really tight race for second to last place. And they think it's an elimination leg. Um, but whoa, if it, to, on to them if it is not elimination, if it's a non-elimination leg and mm-hmm. they wasted their yield. Um, how are you feeling about this as a gameplay mechanic? Yeah, I like that it's not that long. It's long mm-hmm. enough to make a difference, but it is not yes. necessarily long enough to be disqualifying. But what's going to yes. change that is if if there are only two people, two teams left. So yes. if the second to last team uses it, then... That's gonna be in like an elimination, basically. So um, the fact that they have to decide if they're gonna use it before they know what position they are, uh, I think, is, makes a big difference. And just yeah, there's a lot of potential for it, and there's a lot of potential to waste it. So yeah, in general, people who feel like they're doing well don't have learned not to do the the like the. What's it called when they have to send them to the other the U-turns. The U-turns. And not to do, like, the yield here we saw. Which, because it just is not worth making enemies. Mm-hmm. Certainly not in the second episode. But yeah. we'll see how long it takes for that to start coming into play. The other thing, I like the challenges this yes. time. Um, I liked watching the, 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 the couple, the guys, the ones say, I want to check the instruction, the, the thing more times. Like, no, it's not, it doesn't matter. And then like a half hour later, he's like, I can't believe we didn't check the thing. It's like, okay, your partner is like agreeing with you. You are lucky. Your partner is a bigger person than me. Cause I would have been like, I wanted to check it an hour ago by using another. Anyways. Um, the other thing we need to talk about, uh, is the, you know, when they're down to the final three teams at their challenge, the there's two black teams, there's two white teams, the one white team finishes and then they like go over and whis- and whisper to the other white team what all everybody has been missing. Um, because they just like like them and you know they they, they wanted to help them out and, and because you know we have a good time, we get along with them, we want them to do well. And it was just such blatant blatant ingrained bias like you know um and what i i did really appreciate was that both of those um team members went on were on you know tweeting along with everything we're like yeah like racial bias like is is very real and that was racist and we're we're you know you know, Black Lives Matter, and we are working to, you know, all these different things, but, like, that was wrong. It shows you how easy it is to slip into these things and not even, not think of yourself as racist, but turn around and realize that you have just contributed to that. Um, So I was, like, I I was, if you're gonna do that, at least they're aware of it, watching it back, and they certainly knew it was coming. Um, But, yeah, it was, it was shitty. (laughs) It was very shitty. 
Yeah, it was really shitty, um, especially in an episode like on top of the racial bias. It's especially shitty in an episode where teams were actively helping one another really aggressively. Mm-hmm. Um, like the top, f- the first five were being really forward about it, um, which was smart gameplay. Um, but this was just really gross and lazy. And that team, it was Leo and Alana, right? Yeah. Yeah, had already, like, kind of demonstrated a weird sort of racism towards, like, the judge with, uh, where she was just, like, the really sexy and, like, dipped into a Latina, um, accent, mm-hmm. um, about the truck and everything. And it was just like, what are we doing here right now? Yeah. What is this? Um, so it was just like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't great. This is bad. But, yeah, it was, it was very difficult to watch that, but I was really glad that the other team, saw them tell them and figured out what it was yeah. and got the horn done. Um, I do appreciate the fact that one of my favorite things about the amazing race in general is whenever they zoom in on exactly what the contestants are all missing. So watching that over and over again during this challenge never got old and I actively enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I saw some people online be like, come on guys, why do you think they're honking the horns? Like, yeah, they aren't honking their horns and realizing their horns don't honk. Or they, you know, like there's there's not a reason to think if you haven't read the the note re- the like the, the instructions the root info recently it's a yeah. very easy mistake to make so I mean speed a little bit more understanding uh, it's easy to say that you wouldn't make that mistake when you are watching yeah. at home <laughs> I would have definitely made that mistake watching at home any other thoughts no no other thoughts I thought that the challenge was a good set piece um, and I. I do wish that the circus had been a much more difficult thing than it appeared to yes. be. Um, it seemed relatively easy um, based on the editing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that disappointed me because I was just like, this is such a fun little challenge. Oh, we're done. Okay. Well, that was, that was sad. Yeah. <laughs> sad yeah. clown. Literally. <laughs> um, well, our, our last episode of the week, speaking of clowns, uh, is DuckTales Let's Get Dangerous. Yeah. Uh, which is our, our Darkwing Duck kind of episode. Uh, and I see speaking of clowns, because there's that jestery villain character. Crackerjack. Crackerjack. There we go. Thank you. Yes. So uh, obviously I have an affinity for Darkwing Duck. I watched it uh, somewhat back in the day. I didn't have cable for the longest time. So I mean, I could catch it on Channel 26, the U, when it would like repeat certain times. Uh, but It was part uh, of the Disney afternoon walk on like whatever broadcast station in your market bought it. So yeah. 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 Um, so, but I don't remember it nearly well enough to have, I'm sure these are all specific baddies they brought back. Yes. Yes. All of them. Even, even, uh, Taurus, um, okay. Bulba is a, not as prominent, um, Darkwing Duck villain, but he was voiced by Tim Curry in the original. Mm, very good. Yeah. The voicing was all very good. I'm, I'm looking forward to Stephanie Beatrice being a regular part of their oh, extended God, family. So good. Yeah. what did you think? I really like this episode. It's a really great love letter to Darkwing Duck in general in the same way that the introductory episode was, um, while also that episode also really tweaked Chris Nolan and the Batman stuff. I mean, you cast Edgar Wright to voice Chris Nolan, and it's just you're just <laughs> asking for it. It's really good. But I think that this episode does a couple of things really, really well. The first is be a Darkwing Duck episode and like a legitimate origin story for their incarnation of Darkwing Duck which I really, really enjoyed. I liked the whole alt-reality thing of the characters from the TV show ending up here 
even if it doesn't quite make sense that Bushroot is basically just a plant zombie, which is not how Bushroot was in the original series. But I kind of like also this kind of creepy, uh, uh, creepy um, annihilation-esque plant monster um, that Bushroot is. Um, so I- I'm not going to complain too much. Um, so I think it's a really good Darkwing Duck episode. It's really funny. It's a great origin story for both Darkwing and for Gosselin. Um, but I also think it works great as a DuckTales episode, which is a really tricky thing to balance because it's a, it reveals that Bradford's behind Fowl, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also begins to hint at what Fowl or at the very least Bradford is after, which is stopping adventurers from causing chaos everywhere, which is just a really interesting idea as a counter to this show. Um, so, it's he he literally wants to cancel the show, mm-hmm. Kate. Bradford wants to cancel the show. And I just find that really compelling in a very delightful meta way when this season in particular has been deeply meta. Um, but also really aware of the idea of DuckTales as a legacy program, which is something the two showrunners talked about in an interview with Entertainment Weekly that I really encourage listeners who enjoy DuckTales to go check out. Um, because they're being... Everything that they've been doing this season has been really deliberate, and I also think is really insightful about what DuckTales is mm-hmm. as like a concept show, as a concept for particularly people our age. Um, so I think it, it's really interesting, but I really like both of these episodes. They're really fun. They're just the right amount of heartwarming, and God, Launchpad's just the best. He's just the best. Anyway, yep. Kate, how did you feel about this episode? It was super fun. I When I heard there was going to be an hour long, I was like a little worried about pacing and everything. Mm-hmm. But I thought they handled that really well. Um, I thought that they balanced the various characters really nicely. I very much appreciated that Huey, Louie, and Dewey figure out what's going on with Bradford um, really quickly. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to really enjoy. So I thought they I thought they pretty much nailed it. It was, I think, quite a bit stronger than the last Darkwing episode. Um, so I think this is a good way to go with it. Um, should they want to do more of these specials, I think they could really have a lot of fun and I'm, I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it was just really delightful. Um, yeah. 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 Well, on that oh, kind of note, uh, what wins your weekend TV? Well, I do want to shout out um, last week tonight, uh, John Oliver went to Danbury to cut the ribbon on the uh, sewage treatment plant that they finally named after him. Uh, and I want to shout it out very specifically for the protective gear that he wore, um, <laughs> which is exactly what I've wanted for six months, <laughs> but I need a fan. Uh, so that was that, that I really enjoyed that. But um, what wins my week this week is DuckTales. Uh, yeah, it was just really good. It was a love letter just specifically for me, um, but also a number of other people. Um, what about you? Well, when your week this week, I did really like DuckTales, but I think I'd give it to you what the Constitution means to me. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer, and come back with our spotlight on what the Constitution means to me. When I was 15, I would travel the country giving speeches about the Constitution. I'm not going to do anything weird to make myself 15, so uh, here I am, I'm 15. The Constitution is a living document. It is a warm, steamy document. It is hot and sweaty. Our bodies have just been left out of 
this document from the beginning. They were just like, we don't, we don't know what to do with this kind of body. Our Constitution acknowledges that who we are now might not be who we will become. Whenever I get to this part, I have this desire to protect my 15-year-old self. I didn't tell anyone. I have no idea why. My friend Renee and I wanted to be on birth control just in case. Just in case we were in a hot tub and then the sperm swam up and attacked us. Or, you know, in case of a real attack. There will not be a woman on the Supreme Court until 1981. There are nine men deciding the fate of birth control, four of whom are cheating on their wives. Constitution, then I can stand up here today and insist on a better future for our country. I met with young women who are doing these contests today. I am one of this generation's founding daughters telling you I want a document that takes action on climate change. Let's start with our own personal constitution and build our way out. Thank you. excited by young people lately. I really do. I feel like you all are shining a light backwards into the darkness so I can follow you into the future. My face just fucking hurts from smiling like that. That was the trailer for Heidi Shrek's What the Constitution Means to Me. Um, And this is one I had heard about this when it was first like being put on like uh-huh. the, like the the host the the writer right she did a uh, a bunch of podcasts that I, that I listened to like NPR and stuff um so when i saw this getting you know reviewed and talked up a bunch online in the past week i was like oh this thing about the woman who used to go do the constitution competitions in high school and debating and like you know, talking about all of this. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, I know what this is. Uh, and then Allison, you know, of course, really loved it. Recommended that we check it out. I So I sat down uh, to watch it and ended up, like, I anticipated some of it. But there was plenty that I didn't. And I, I found myself really appreciating and being drawn into it. Um, so I, I ended up really, really liking it. And I thought that it was a good balance of fun and earnest and... Uh, you know, very aware of its blind spots. And it seems like the kind of thing that would have been a lot of fun to see in person um, back, you know, when that was a thing we all did. <laughs> what did you think of this one? Had you heard of it before sitting down to watch it? Yes. So Emily Vanderwerf had written about this in her newsletter. Um, mm-hmm. I forget when. Um, it may have been like really, really early this year or really late last year. I can't quite remember. Um, and my memory of the newsletter in and of itself is kind of fuzzy, but I remember really hitting Emily pretty particularly hard, um, which is understandable after watching it. (laughs) Um, so that was basically my, the extent of my awareness of it. Um, I, that was all I knew about it was that Emily Vanderwerf had gone to see it and wrote about it. And what did you think? I think that this is really good. Um, I think Shrek is a really gifted storyteller, which is really important when you're essentially doing almost a one person play. Um, not quite because the use of Mike Iverson, I think is really well executed across the entire run. 
um, as well as having um, a couple of a rotating cast of um, high schoolers or just post just graduated um, folks uh, come on and debate Shrek about whether or not they should abolish, abolish the U.S. Constitution. Um, so I think that as sort of like a televisual experience, it's not the best, mm. but these kind of filmed things typically aren't um, super visually compelling. Um even though I do really, really like a lot of the stuff at the end when the lights go down and they, um, Shrek and whomever is the guest debater trade questions back and forth and we can pull, the camera can move back behind them and you get them backlit basically. And it's really kind of stunning, but Shrek is a really gifted storyteller. And I agree with you that the play recognizes those blind spots and then adapts to them. And does a fairly good job of using those blind spots to bolster its argument. Um, which I think is also really, really important to the overall point of what the Constitution means to me. Yeah, no, it's really, um, you know, it's just... As we're in the middle of a Supreme Court nomination process that is, you know, barring something that none of us anticipate... Even in 2020, which what we anticipate in 2020, what it would take to surprise us. Okay, fine. Like, it takes a lot. It would take a lot to surprise me at this point. But um, barring some sort of a surprise, Amy Coney Barrett will be um, the latest Supreme Court justice. And watching the discourse around originalism in recent weeks has been very frustrating as someone who is not considered a person like by the original constitution, certainly not a person who had any say in the government or any role. Um, I was, you know, more considered a person than anyone who wasn't white. Um, but like this idea that you should go to what the original founders intended and the specific language that they used when interpreting how you're going to run your entire society is absurd to me. Um, so it was, it was very, meaningful i think to see a, a really earnest engagement with the document itself and the specifics of it and what you know the the different constitution constitutional amendments mean and what they can be interpreted to mean and and you know the idea of it as as a specific written text or as a living document you know i think there's a lot of really um you know there's a reason that that people feel so strongly about the constitution um, in various ways. So it was a very timely conversation to be engaging in and observing this, this week. And the way that she ties it in very specifically with her family's experience with, um, trauma, uh, and violence against women and with abortion access and with just several different realms was really, uh, really powerful. The, like, you, you get a sense of what you're, watching pretty early on and uh I, i'm curious if she actually prepared different shows depending on the specific which amendment you know because um, yeah. i, I want to say i remember her saying that that like she had all the different amendments in the cup and when she picked one that would de basically determine like which version of the show she was going to do um but that you know i could be wrong i don't remember it's a very specifically tailored show so yes. if if that was the case then i'm sure that like you have just there's a few different branches that take you to the same stories <laughs> which are the bulk of the show but um yeah it, it 
it's just it was really I think I think it was really well balanced if that makes sense and knowing when to go from like cut to and go from the timeline of you know 15 year old self you know very pen one five uh or to go back into the present day I thought I thought worked well I liked like you said the 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 other person on stage getting you know his monologue um, so that she can get a break and also to change the perspective a little bit was was very um, well struggled well structured well well put this one um, uh, was nominated for a bunch of Tonys uh, nominated for a Pulitzer uh, nominated for all, like all the things uh, a bunch of the things and it's easy to see why yeah um, so to your your point about picking stuff out of the jar for which amendment to discuss. Um, A couple things about that. So the first is that one of the things I actually really actively like about this is that she doesn't discuss the Constitution. Yeah. Because the Constitution in and of itself is actually pretty boring and is also not something that we can... We sh- we need to discuss, but it's also not the thing that really, in a lot of ways, governs how we think about the United States. Like it's got those foundational things about the uh, checks and balances and everything, but the amendments are what have really defined how we think about the United States. And so this particular movie is actually edited together from multiple performances. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like the Hamilton uh, Disney plus Hamilton is pulled from different performances. Um, But I think Specifically, even if she does do different versions, depending on what she draws out, doing, making, I have to assume making the choice to use the 9th and the 14th as your accessible piece of art in a time in which A, art isn't accessible, but B, in which Broadway plays are not accessible, generally speaking, regardless of whether there's a pandemic on, um, is really significant as a directorial and as a writing choice um, and as a marketing and packaging choice. Um, Since the ninth amendment is all about reserving rights and the 14th amendment is explicitly about what is a citizen and who is a citizen. Um, And I think that merging those two together to be the version of the show that people can watch whenever they want, provided they pay for pay Amazon for the privilege um, is perfect. Like it's the best possible choice to make Um, because really you don't want to watch a show about the amendment process (laughs) of what happens if the president's incapacitated. Like that's just not going to be an interesting version of the show. It's also, just you don't you know, who wants to watch that no one you want to watch something really meaty and the ninth and 14th amendments are particularly meaty because the 14th amendment has three clauses in it mm-hmm. um so i think that there's just a lot of really good choices made for this being the version of the show that we're going to get but it also allows shrek as you say really clear pathways to tell her personal stories through both of these particular amendments um so that, I think, is one of the biggest successes of this. The other really big success of it is it's by far and away one of the most accessible ways I've seen the Constitution explained in general. Yeah. Um, which I really, really like. Um, it's super, so- I mean, it's super accessible as long as you are able to follow tangents comfortably. Because I watched this with this my parents. Super true. 
And uh, they were, you know, they they enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. And they're like, who could we recommend this to? And they thought of a few people. And they thought of my grandma. And she has some difficulty hearing. And they're like, you know what? I think she, even with the subtitles on, she would no, have too hard yeah. of a time following what's like, you yeah, know. It's true. So so there, you have to be somewhat nimble um, in your viewing. But um, if you are, it, it is very, it does not... It does not assume any knowledge, even as you, one of the judge or one of the judges, you know, uh, the you know, she asks the audience to assume the role of the judges at this constitution competition early on. Um, it does not assume any pre-knowledge of the, the constitution, but it also doesn't speak down as if you don't. It she she balances that really well. And it is very like, you know, obviously this is someone who has spent lots of time considering and engaging with the Constitution, and more specifically, like you were saying, the amendments. Um, and she does a really great way of, you know, talking about, like, no person. They don't say citizen. They say person. They don't say man. They say, like, and how meaningful those specifics are, which if you are not someone who engages with that level of specificity to, like, I'm in the state of Illinois, for example, every eighth grader has to pass the Constitution test to graduate eighth grade. So you have to, like study it know it really well all these different things and then most of the people i know promptly forget everything <laughs> they had to learn the eighth grade constitution does so like you know i've read the constitution i've read all the amendments i'm familiar with with it but i haven't spent time parsing the language and so th- i think she really definitely and gently takes your hand through some of that in a way that does not um, t- does not tamp down her enthusiasm and excitement around around it and the specifics of it and the how how engaging that is. It's always fun to watch someone who's really excited about something talk about that thing they're excited about if as long as they find a way to welcome you into it. And I think she does that. Um, but it also, you know, I, th- I think the pacing and the there's just a lot of care and attention to who is the audience. How can I present this in a way that encourages? everyone to stay engaged with what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think the other thing that helps that engagement is the fact that the, the stories that she tells are a deeply personal will be a very relatable and the ways in which she then ties those back to the amendment discussions. Um, and hanging over all of this then is this um the positive versus negative rights thing which i think is a really astute observation to bring in and not one that we talk very much about as a public discourse i had never thought of it i had never thought about that aspect of it because i'm not a constitutional scholar but still it was one of those things where i just was like oh yeah huh yeah that seems like a big thing okay i'm listening (laughs) (laughs) that then keeps you engaged um even if you're not necessarily like looking for like a constitutional discussion Mm -hmm. um and i also think that your point about enthusiasm is really really spot on because what the other thing that she does really well particularly in this movie and i'm again we're only speaking to the movie is the ways in which she balances current day heidi shrek's enthusiasm for this play against this caricatured version of 15-year-old Heidi Shrek speaking at an American Legion competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really delightful. Um, mm-hmm. Her version of her 15-year-old self is just so compelling and very much a, I know that kid. 
<laughs> also, I was that kid a little bit. Oh my god! I, I there's one paper in English. I don't remember which grade in high school where, like, there were ex there was like different topics you had to write. You had to create your own, make up your own conversation for like these characters in a book we were reading to have an argument about or to have a discussion about. Did I make it about Buffy shipping? You better believe I made it about Buffy shipping. And who would ship which, which, you know, canon main couple and why they would be arguing that that person was the best. Uh, yeah. So, it may. <laughs> I'm also, I was also really into witches. <laughs> like, I was like, yep, I see you. I appreciate this. Yes. Um, the part that, the thing that I want to make sure as we wrap up here that I draw attention to, um, if you are not sure whether this person is for you and this, uh, this, you know, play is for you. She goes out of her way to make sure that the audience knows as she's telling a really deeply upsetting and traumatic story that in the end, everybody's okay. It worked out okay. And when she does that, when she takes the time to be like, I'm going to pause my story right now. It's important that you know that all the children that came from this really fucked up situation are all happy and healthy and more or less in a good place right now because i don't want you to be worried about that while i'm telling the story um that that's just i was like okay i'm in good hands here okay thank you because i was about to be filled with dread for what could possibly how could anyone possibly get out of this situation with anything approaching a happy life you know because it's so messed up and so, like, that is the kind of person who is writing this. And I, I, that moment really stood out to me as something I, like, the specific priorities and perspective of, of Shrek and why I want her to be the one doing this kind of play and not many others. Yeah. Did you have any final thoughts? No. I th- the, your final thought, I think, is actually the one we should end on because I think it's really spot on. Yeah. So, yes, really liked it. Really moved by it. Thought it was really great. Check it out is where I'm at. What do you think? Oh, yeah. No, it's it's a it's, it is a recommend from me as well. Yeah. Well, uh, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find our M4A chaptered feed and our MP3 unchaptered feed up in Apple Podcasts and we're also over on Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. You can also uh, find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thanks so much for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thanks, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 